Welcome to Spectrum, the show that discusses news and topics that affect Southern Nevada and the surrounding communities. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I've got two guests on the program. Later, Grammy Award-winning musician Jerry Beckley from the band America. But my first guest is a true Las Vegas success story. Sean Patel went through the Clark County School District, then scored a perfect SAT score. Now he is in his dermatology residency at Temple University. By the way, his SAT course was a big winner on Shark Tank. Sean, welcome, and certainly I'm in Impressed by kids who go through the Clark County School District and do well. Clark County School District is often 49th or 50th in the nation. Uh, in terms of quality of public schools, uh, we battle it out with Mississippi, and I am a product of, of Clark County School District. Uh, Clark County School District, one of the, um, you know, in the minority uh, product that came out uh, to be successful academically. And, um, you know, I went to uh, Mabel Hogarth Elementary School, Hyde Park for middle school, and then Clark High School. Obviously, your parents valued education very much. Oh, 100%. I mean, I grew up on Fremont Street in the middle of Vegas. And, you know, although it's been gentrified now by Zappos, um, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in a sort of a rundown budget motel there on Fremont Street, not the best area. But the one thing that always was important to my parents, no matter where we lived, was to always do well academically. I mean, you know, B's were just totally unacceptable to my parents, my, my yeah. dad. And I, I found out, you know, pretty early on that, um, you know, if I just got A's in school, I realized this by elementary school, if I just got A's in school, my parents would stop bugging me and I could go uh, you know, play basketball, play video games, go to the swimming pool at the motel and uh, do everything I wanted to do as a kid. So, uh, you know, I just started getting A's and, and that just sort of stayed with me. I was like, OK, I don't want my parents to nag me anymore, so I'll just get A's for them. But what was the motel that, that they owned and you lived in? That was Sky Ranch Motel. We had a 23-room motel. My parents actually still, in fact, uh, own it, but we, we don't live there anymore. They moved out to the Summerlin area. My parents uh, now live there. And, but, you know, growing up, basically my entire childhood, I lived in Sky Ranch Motel in the sort of living room attached to the front office. And I was renting motel rooms when I was a kid. And it was kind of a quite a different uh, upbringing than the, than the average child. That, you know, I was so embarrassed growing up in a motel when I was um, a kid because, you know, everyone else lived in a house or an apartment and it was so hard to explain to people, you know, I lived in this sort of motel because my parents owned it. But, you know, now I'm very comfortable talking about it. No, no embarrassment. <laughs> good for you and, and good for your for your family. Did you have siblings? I did, yeah. I had a younger brother, or I still have a younger brother, and he's actually a medical doctor just like me. He's going into ophthalmology. I'm currently a dermatology resident, and between the two of us, you know, we have the entire outer surface of your body covered. (laughs) The one part of the body that I don't cover, but yeah, I grew up with a lot of family, and that was actually really important. Um, Actually, all of my, most of my family still lives in Las Vegas. Um, You know, we had uh, up to 10 family members living at the motel at once, and you know, everyone would have a different motel room, and it was a lot of fun growing up that way. And uh, but it was just so different th- than what most people might have ex- might experience growing up. 
Actually, it sounds like the makings of a movie, doesn't it, when you think about it? Uh, yeah, you know what? I've actually had conversations with a Hollywood producer, and, uh, you know, so I'm crossing my fingers on that one. Yeah, you sort of, you're sort of predicting the future. <laughs> you had gotten to the point where you're taking your SAT, and you were not satisfied with your first attempt? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was so used to getting A's, like I said, in middle school and high school, that by the time that I got to my first... Uh, practice SAT in my in 10th grade, you know, I was quite surprised because, you know, I was getting straight A's. But then when I took the SAT, you know, I barely got above average. I got a 1760 out of 2400. Now the average was 1500. So I was around the 60th percentile. And, you know, that was surprising. And I was really one of those kids that you know, I think uh, a lot of parents have kids like this where they do really well in school, but they're just not the best standardized test taker. And so, you know, what I did was I locked myself in um, Las Vegas uh, library and then eventually Sahara West library for an entire summer. And I self-studied for the exam about uh, 300 hours or more, I'd say one summer. And I was able to raise my SAT score from that 60th percentile score to a perfect SAT score out of 2,400. And, and that completely changed my life. I mean, only 0.02% of all students are able to achieve a perfect SAT score. It's very rare um, in Las Vegas, especially. And, you know, that got me into these amazing universities from Ivy League schools to uh, places like Berkeley, Johns Hopkins, Northwestern. Um, and I got a half a million dollars in scholarship offers, which to me was even more important than, than the colleges I got into. I even got to meet the president of the United States. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you met Barack Obama. And, and no, I'm not that young. It was George Bush at the time. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no, so it was just completely life-changing, um, you know, this one SAT score. And I really couldn't believe it. And it's become part of our national economy, how how people have gone into debt because of the bills that they owe for going to college. Absolutely. So, you know, the student debt is basically a national crisis at this point. It yeah. totals $1.3 trillion, and it's wow. crippling people, um, putting them into bankruptcy, and interest rates are so high. And so for me, you know... It, coming from a background where my parents didn't have a lot of money, they came to the States with $70 and, and worked, uh, you know, to, to own that motel and to, to really build a life for themselves. I didn't want them to either pay for college and I didn't want to take out loans myself if I didn't have to. So I really took um, that SAT score and leveraged it as much as possible. I applied to over a hundred college scholarships. Um, and many of them actually local scholarships in Las Vegas. So places like the Public Education Foundation, the Asian American Foundation, Nevada Power, um, Ronald McDonald House Charities. So all these local organizations, um, I, you know, I won over 20 of those 100 scholarships I applied for. I was able to get a full tuition scholarship to the University of Southern California, which was worth couple hundred thousand dollars because it's $50,000 in tuition a year. On yeah. top of my pri private scholarships, I didn't have to pay a dime for housing, food, book, any educational expenses. So I was totally covered. And, and that was all because of my SAT score. 
And, and, you know, that was really the return on investment of, of putting in those hours to study for the SAT because I just got rewarded so handsomely uh, with checks after that. You created Prep Expert, which is now, I believe, the fastest growing test preparation provider. When did you start thinking about doing that? How, how far back does that go? Yeah, Jim. So I essentially created a test prep company called Prep Expert. We do SAT and ACT prep classes. But what's interesting is I never had actually planned to start a test prep company. My original goal was in college, you know, I thought, I really want to help other students change their lives with their test scores the way that, you know, my SAT score changed my own life. And so my original idea was just to write an SAT prep book. I thought I would write the uh, first SAT prep book written by a perfect score student. And, you know, I thought publishers would love it. So I put together a book proposal um, yeah. You know about this book, and I pitched it to over a hundred literary agents and publishers. You know, every single one rejected the book proposal, saying, "You know, the SAT prep market is too competitive. I didn't yeah. have a platform to write the book, and no one really thought it would work." And so, you know, what I did was again, I took my destiny into my own hands, which was I used the hundreds of pages I had been working on for the SAT prep book. And I turned it into a course, which was, you know, now it's called Prep Expert. I originally started it right in a small classroom in a co-working space on 215 and Eastern, um, right in Las Vegas. I got uh, barely enough students to have a class. I had 18 kids in the first class that I taught myself back in 2011. After six weeks of that class that I taught, it was a six-week class of the course that I put together, the students, you know, from everywhere around the valley, from Bishop Gorman to Clark to Green Valley to Coronado, all these students from different high schools, they ended up having an average score improvement of 376 points to their wow. course. That was incredible. I mean, no one in the industry was seeing those kinds of results. Uh, that was equivalent to taking a student who is in the 50th percentile on the SAT and taking them up to the 90th percentile. It's amazing. I, I was going to ask, how did you get the word out that this course was available to the kids, to the high school kids in this market? Yeah, that was definitely tough because, um, you know, when I was trying to you know, get the word out, no one knew who I was. But luckily, I reached out to my high school counselors and sort of the connections I had in the community growing up in Las Vegas. And they were sending me students who the course would be great for. Um, I started doing some search engine optimization online. I started doing media interviews with um, local news stations, et cetera. And, and that really got the buzz going in Las Vegas to get those initial students. But what was interesting is after I got that initial buzz, I didn't do any more marketing, but I had parents knocking down the doors for more classes because, you know, they heard about the score improvements of 400 points to student scores, and they yeah. wanted their kid to get that score improvement. And so the word of mouth really drove the business after that. And I had just students enrolling and enrolling that I had to hire more instructors to teach my curriculum. And that's really how Prep Expert was born. It was born out of really rejection from the book deal. And, and what was ironic about all that is once McGraw-Hill, the world's largest education publisher, saw what I was building with Prep Expert as classes, they ended up giving me a book deal after all, even though they had rejected me the first time. 
And that book ended up going number one on Amazon Press, AT Prep. It sold tens of thousands of copies. And, and you know, <laughs> I, I did get the book deal that I originally wanted. You would eventually then take it to the next level and you went on to Shark Tank. What was that in 2015? How did, how did that happen for you? You know, um, I think just like a lot of listeners out there uh, in 2015, 2016, I was just a really big, avid listener of Shark Tank. And then one day I was watching the show and it just sort of clicked. I was like, well, I have a small business in Las Vegas that would be great for the show. I'd love to get yeah. some investment and scale this to other cities, scale it online and take it beyond just a small business in Las Vegas to a national business, a national test prep company. So, you know, that's really where I got the idea for, from Shark Tank was really was just being a fan. And then I saw they were having auditions in New York City. So I went there. I was the last person in line with 500 other people to audition. I gave a one-minute pitch to a casting call producer. And luckily, they loved it. A few months later from the, the audition, I, I was in front of the Sharks pitching on Shark Tank and closed the deal with, with Mark Cuban for 20% equity in my business. And that's really just been an the most incredible experience for, for both me and, and my business. I saw you when you were on there and how excited you were when it happened for you. And you really hit it off with Mark Cuban. I know that he has uh, gone on and on about you and you've got a great relationship with him now, don't you? I do. Yeah, I've been really fortunate that Mark's been um, a real big advocate, business advisor, supporter of not only the business prep expert, the SAT and ACT prep classes that we do, you know, that help students improve their scores, go to college, and most importantly, win scholarships. But also, he's just been a really big supporter of me, which I've been really fortunate. Um, you know, I told him, you know, I was working on a book for entrepreneurship for kids. And, you know, he was like, well, let me co-author it with you. And I was like, well, that's the coolest thing in the world. Mark Cuban <laughs> co-author uh, a book with me, you know, and so then we ended up co-authoring a book together and uh yeah he's just been just so so good at offering resources and support for the business and helping to grow it i don't know why i i feel that someday you're going to own a piece of the dallas mavericks <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I i i hope maybe we can one day bring a team to las vegas i'd love to own something like that <laughs> nice yeah no i'm a huge fan of the nba and, and the mavericks obviously but yeah las vegas needs its own team i think we've, we've got proof of concept now at the vegas Knights. sean patel founder of prep expert is with me sean we talked about it a little bit at the outset but does the college admissions scandal surprise you at all you're somebody who has worked kind of behind the scenes and and dealt with several families regarding getting them into the right college or or is this really kind of been made public the last year or so because of celebrities like Lori lachlan and felicity huffman are involved you know i think that the college admissions scandal is no surprise at all to me i mean i've heard stories about this going on in the college admissions and test prep industry for years and years, ever since I've started. I mean, I've even heard of scandals in Las Vegas where there have been tutors who will get fake IDs made and take exams for students. I've heard of Chinese test makers stealing the SAT and ACT before test day and giving it to wow. their students. So this has been going on for a very, very long time. I think it was, like you said, brought to the limelight, uh, you know, because of the celebrities involved. I mean, all of a sudden you have 
it being front page of Yahoo and on TMZ and everything in between because of the celebrities and the scandal and America's obsession with, uh, you know, really tearing down celebrities. If these were just wealthy people without the celebrity, I don't think it nearly would have been, it would have been nearly as big news. And, you know, I'm really actually glad that it's being brought to light because I think parents and students need to realize that you know, while a small minority of people are willing to play um, illegal games with this, the maj- there are um, a larger portion of the population that are willing to play the legal way. And, you know, I do think that test prep is a way to game the system, meaning it's a way to artificially increase your test scores in order to get into colleges and win scholarships. Now, it does obviously favor the people that are willing to invest in test prep, which are often the wealthiest. But, you know, the way that I look at it is if a test prep course costs 500 to $700 and the scholarships that you win are even $10,000, $20,000, I mean, that makes your return on investment so, so worth it. I've had one student get $1.4 million in college scholarship offers. So what I tell parents and students is don't necessarily always look to go to the best brand name school because, you know, these universities are just luxury brand marketers. Um, A a university is a university at the end of the day, and the student can make what they want out of it. But what's really, really important is not to go into significant debt and try to get college paid for. And and that's really what test scores can help you do. And and a lot of people don't realize that. Now, I know that in recent years, a number of universities have dropped SATs or, or ACT scores from admissions criteria. But kids should really be taking them, shouldn't they? And there's a reason for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that you bring that up, Jim, because, you know, for example, George Washington University dropped the SAT, a very good university in in Washington, D.C. However, although they dropped the SAT and the ACT for the admission to their university, they did not drop the SAT and the ACT for merit-based scholarships to their university. In reality, if you don't take the SAT and ACT and you go to George Washington University, you have to pay full sticker price for tuition. But if you took the SAT and ACT and you did well, they may give you $10,000 a year, $20,000 a year to help pay for that tuition. It really makes no sense at all to me for a student to bypass the SAT and ACT because they don't want to take the exam and then they can still get into college because they're missing out on all those scholarships, even to the universities that no longer require the SAT and ACT for admission. How do uh, kids here in Las Vegas get in touch with you and your group? What is the next step now for kids who are thinking about taking the SAT? The students and parents that are in high school now and of high school age, you need to start thinking about it in ninth, 10th, 11th, and uh, even 12th grade. You know, you go to prepexpert.com is the best way to find out more information. You can also give us a call at one 345 prep that's 7737 at the end. We also have a head, our headquarters of, of Prep Expert is right on Charleston and Buffalo at the corner there. We have our headquarters where you're welcome to drop by anytime. But I think prepexpert.com would be the best way that Las Vegas parents and students can find out more about SAT and ACT classes that we offer both in Las Vegas as well as online. You've gone through USC, Yale, and now your residency at uh, Temple in Dermatology. How soon are you through the residency? Personally, I am two years away 
from completing dermatology residency. So, you know, that would be the end of my educational journey. I've been in school for almost 30 years. I've never <laughs> taken a break. I mean, ever since kindergarten at right. Mabel Hogard in uh, Las Vegas, through college at USC, through business school at Yale, through medical school at USC again, and then uh, now I'm in dermatology residency at Temple. I mean, it's uh, been a, a nonstop ride, and I'm really excited to be finished. But who knows? Maybe after I'll decide to go spend seven to ten years doing a PhD just because I can't get enough of school. Well, we here in Las Vegas are proud of you, uh, especially since you're a native son here, and uh, you've done such great work. And we look forward to hearing about uh, your future exploits. A, a pleasure and honor talking to you, Sean. Thanks so much, Jim, for having me on. It's been really fun, and yeah, I'm so excited to. Uh, do more and, and make Vegas proud and do more for the community, uh, you know, because I'm homegrown and, and I, I love Las Vegas so, so much. Best of luck in the future. Great. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it. My next guest is the Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and co-founder of the band America. He's also got a brand new solo project. I've got Jerry Beckley on the line in Los Angeles. Jerry, how are you today? I'm good, Jim. How's it going? Fantastic, and welcome to the show, and congratulations on your solo LP, Carousel. In fact, I was just listening to the song Tokyo. I really like it, especially when you consider the fact that you played, what, most of the instruments. Yeah, that's really more a matter of convenience. I, I have a, my own personal studio, and I, I do play a variety of instruments. So much as I, I love a, a room full of guys, you know, bashing out some tunes, more often than not, it's just me with myself. So, yeah, I played most of the instruments on the record. One of the things that I like about your career is besides all the great original material, your choice of cover material, including on Carousel album, is great. Nature's Way and Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying, which I, I guess you say you've been playing ever since you were a kid. Yeah, you know, both Dewey and I were kids of the... Uh the British invasion and stuff. We were glued to Ed Sullivan every Sunday or every Friday. I can't remember what night it was, but right. But you know, every week there'd be another one of those bands. And Jerry and the Pacemakers, of course, one of the early groups to come on our radar. And uh, I've been singing that song in high school bands, uh, you know, since it came out. Jerry, when it comes to the way that you record these days, I know that back in the '70s and '80s, it was what basically two-inch analog tape back then. Go back to uh, uh, you know one inch uh, four track or half inch four track one inch eight track tape, but um, that's really yeah. setting your way back in scenes. Yeah, most most of our stuff was done on two inch analog. You're correct. What do you prefer? Because there are a lot of people who are you know musicians like yourself who've been through those different phases who are purists and they they kind of yearn for yesterday a little bit. Well, I've always taken this. You know, when asked, I, I, I say to me it's really a case of do you use a number two or a number three pencil. I, I do understand and have worked with all of these different formats, and, and clearly there is nothing to compare with the convenience and the options and things that, that put a zillion-track studio in your own laptop computer. I mean, there's no way to, to diss that, really, but if I technically had to pick, I'd, I, I'd say actually 16-track two-inch was... My favorite. It was a much wider uh, bandwidth and stuff, and uh, and I think that sounded the best. You know, that's a rare thing. You can, you do find some studios that will run two-inch analog along with uh, Pro Tools and all the digital things, but uh, 
but that's rare itself now. And speaking of which, I mean, when it goes back to those days, for those who don't know, you had worked a lot with producer George Martin. What did he mean to you guys as you walked into the studio to work on the first album with him, or the fourth album, I should say? Well, it's uh, the word I usually use is focus. It was incredible for all the reasons that you can imagine to work with George. We were such fans. I mean, even once you dig in, not just the Beatles, which is, of course, off the scale as far as influence and stuff. But we, Dewey and I, had grown up in England, so we even knew all of the comedy work and things he'd done with the goons and uh, right. the Spellers and all of that stuff. So it's just an endless list of things. But for me, being a producer myself and stuff, it, it was a learning experience from day one. I like to remind people, not only George Martin, but we had Jeff Emmerich at the board, the engineer who had yeah. the road, Sergeant Pepper and stuff. So it was a fantastic it was seven, basically seven consecutive projects we did together, but I lump it all as the George Martin years, and that singularly is really the highlight for me. If I'm asked about you know, 40-some years, I'd say, well, the George Martin years. And how did it come to be that you would work with him? Well, we decided we wanted to go back to having a producer. We had a list in our head. I can't tell you if it was really written down on paper, but George was at the top of our and probably everybody's list, and he just happened to be in coming into L.A. and we had a meeting and we never got beyond him. He said he'd love to do it. We were, you know, well-known by that time. We'd had multi-platinum albums, number one record. So it wasn't like he was really going out on a limb to, to say he'd like to work. He was clearly looking for things to do beyond the Beatles who had broken up and stuff. And, and the first album took just 13 days to do. It included Tin Man and Lonely People and and we were off to the races. You're talking about focus there. Were you guys amazed that, bam, 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 all this quality material, and you got it done in such a short, efficient amount of time? It was scheduled for at least two months. I remember quite clearly he said, because we had been taking months to record previous to this, and he said, look, I've held two months at the Air Studios, his facility in London, and he said, I'm not saying we got to be done in two months, but let's just see how we go. So when we were done in 13 days with the and that's mixing and overdubs and everything. He, right. he said to us, well, this can't possibly be a success. Nothing that easy could could succeed. <laughs> so we had a you know, good, good laugh about it, and of course it was a success. And, and uh, we went on to do Hearts right after that the next year, and that had Sister Golden Hair and Daisy Jane. So that was a number one record, Sister, for us. And for George, of course, I, I hope uh, I'm not overstepping by saying, for him, you know, a real indication of, of his abilities and stuff. He was back at the top of the charts. It was a very good time for all of us. One of the songs that I've liked uh, that, that you guys do is Only in Your Heart, especially the, the cool psychedelic ending to that song. And apparently Hal Blaine is responsible for some of that, right? Well, he's responsible for it actually even being on the song. The song just ended right there in pretty short, tight little pop tunes. And he just started coming in with a whole other fill and we all joined in and did another 32 bars or whatever it is and once once we had that we then oh this would be great what can we do with that but had he not done that fill and kind of like come on everybody let's get back in there it wouldn't have been on wouldn't have been part of the song i interviewed a friend of yours not too long ago bill Mooney who uh, talked about how, I mean, he went on and on about you, by the way. I don't know if that's embarrassing to you, but <laughs> he talked about how... That's, that's good or bad? 
<laughs> it's all good stuff. But he talked about how, you know, you can't believe this guy because he was talking about, you know, his music and how he likes to collaborate with you and said, you can't believe how prolific uh, Jerry is w in terms of writing material. Um, I'm never short of ideas. Uh, I've, I've always got a big well of, you know, on Carousel, a lot of that material, I think Tokyo's maybe almost 20 years old. I, and I cut it three or four times. I kept coming back. I knew it. I really liked the tune and stuff. But yes, I have a, I'm pretty prolific that way. But I want people to know, it's I because I kind of come from the school that you got to write 10 to get two. Yes. By no means, they're all 10, you know, winners. And there were some pretty well-known people who wanted to do your material. I had read the story a while ago that Harry Nilsson uh, was a friend and wanted to record your song, I Need You, but by the time he got around to it, he wasn't really in the best of shape at that point in his life. I Need You was going to be his follow-up to Without You. Um, the height of Harry's recording career was his time with, well, he had an amazing career for a variety of reasons, but he had a number one with um, the Bad Singer song, Without You, and, and he came when we first met and he said, I'm going to cut I Need You if you don't mind, it's going to be my follow-up. And at the time, we our plans were to put out Horse with No Name in the States. And we said, no, of course, by all means. If that yeah. horse was a big hit, we were clearly in need of a follow-up. And I need you got the nod. Well, it's always a pleasure talking with you or Dewey over the years. It's great that America is still out there. And I, and I look forward to hearing more of your solo LP. Great to talk to you, Jerry. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks again to Jerry Beckley. America is on the road again in this, their 50th year. And of course, thanks to my first guest, the brilliant Sean Patel. Check out prepexpert.com for more information. And thank you for giving me your time this week. I hope to see you back here next Sunday at 7.30. Spectrum is hosted, written, and produced by Jim Tofty. If you have suggestions on future guests or topics, please send them to spectrum at smiradio.com. 